Welcome, I'm Rosa Aguilar, and this is your call. On today's show, we wanted to let you know that we will be discussing sexual assault and violence, and some of the content we share will be disturbing. We are asking why powerful men like Jeffrey Epstein, R. Kelly, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Donald Trump, and so many others have been able to get away with sexual assault for so long, even as women and girls have bravely stepped forward to share their stories. In some cases, it took decades to get convictions. Many are still waiting. So has the system changed now that these men have been convicted or found liable of sexual assault? We're talking about people like Harvey Weinstein and R. Kelly. At least one in five girls are sexually abused before they turn 18. What has to change to ensure survivors are believed and protected? And what will it take to end this epidemic? Kalima Johnson is a survivor of sexual assault and began her journey of helping those in need as early as she can remember. She is executive director of the Sasha Center, a Detroit-based sexual assault service prevention and educational agency. Sasha stands for Sexual Assault Services for Holistic Healing and Awareness. They work in the African-American community and focus on uplifting the voices of black women and girls who've experienced sexual trauma by providing them with support group services. Hi, Kalima. Thank you so much for your work and thank you for joining us. Hi, Rose. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really um, uh, very appreciative of you reaching out so that we can have this conversation. It's a needed one. Yes, well, we're glad to have you. We're also glad to have Marcy Hamilton, founder and CEO of Child USA, a nonprofit that works to improve laws and policies related to child abuse and neglect. She's also a professor of practice in the Department of Political Science at the University of Pennsylvania. Professor Hamilton is a leading expert on clergy sex abuse and child sex abuse statutes of limitations. She's been invited to testify and advise legislators in every state where significant statutes of limitation reform has occurred. Professor Hamilton is the author of Justice Denied, What America Must Do to Protect Its Children. Hi, Professor Hamilton. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Rose. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to start off by talking about Donald Trump because he is expected to testify any minute now. So he is most likely going to be the Republican candidate for president. Dozens of women, dozens, have accused Trump of sexual misconduct dating back to the 1970s, according to the 19th. The writer E. Jean Carroll said Trump raped her in 1996 in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room. In May, she was awarded $5 million after a jury held Trump liable for sexual abuse and defamation, not rape. Now, this is a defamation suit. And I just wonder, Kalima, what your thoughts are on this. And also, we're just getting word that on Monday night, Trump took to his social media platform to post 40 times about E. Jean Carroll, to make nasty posts about her. I mean, 40 times in one night? What are your overall thoughts about this? Um, Well, first of all, uh, it is obvious that um, Donald Trump in particular has always been able to get away with doing all kinds of things from breaking laws to and it started like in his first campaign where he just said you can grab him by the, you know, um, I won't say that word. So uh, one of the things I will say is that when particular people who choose and decide to cause harm to other people, they can do it right under our noses because we actually, as a society, that we don't, we don't take sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual harassment as serious as we should. And you have to think about the powers that be. So he represents the hierarchy of power in this country, particularly because he's white and male. And so when we think about uh, the ways in which people have and are offered privilege in this country, uh, he represents two of the most privileged people in this country. And because they have this privilege, they also hold the right and they hold the notion that they can have power and control over people. And in particular, they can have power and control over women and girls. Uh, And I think that is a huge issue and a huge problem. And I think our society has a very hard time 
with wanting to believe that there are people who exist in the world who are as monstrous as some of these guys are. Um, and, and it's not just men committing these abuses, but today we're going to focus on that. Um, but I will say that it's terrible. I will say that it's inappropriate. I will say that it's sad. Um, I also want to say this. Every survivor and experiencer of sexual assault, assault, if they cannot get justice in the criminal justice system in terms of someone doing criminal time and things like that, then they should be compensated. Um, I think everybody should be compensated. Here in Detroit, we had 11,000 rape kits that were never uh, tested and they were stockpiled in a building that was being torn down. Mm. Uh, and we finally got our prosecutor, Kim Worthy, who's amazing, create a program to get all those kits processed. And it took years. They found these kits in a building being torn down. That tells you what society thinks and feels about sexual assault. And um, we should be outraged. Wow. 11,000 rape kits in one building? Being torn down. Yes. Wow. Uh, Marcy, what would you like to add? And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. You know, looking at the 40 posts that Trump made about Eugene and Carol, it reminded me of something that someone from SNAP said to us many years ago, Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. They said that anytime there's a high profile case involving priests and sexual assault, their hotline uh, just lights up. It, it just triggers so much. And given that Trump is posting about Eugene Carroll, I was thinking about who this is triggering. So, so I have, um, I mean, I agree with Kalima, of course. Um, and, um, you know, the, the society is not where it needs to be. But I have to say, I am enjoying the fact she's winning that case. Hmm. Um, and that he, you know, there was a time not that long ago where the court wouldn't have believed her where the court would have inquired into her sex life and made her into the um, uh, focus of the whole trial. Instead, it's now all on him. And he can say what he wants, but he's going to have to pay for everything he says. And all of it is being documented. And so I think that, uh, number one, we're in a better place than we were 20 years ago. And one of the reasons for that is we have a lot more information, um, but also we've opened the door to be able to sue in these cases in ways that we never had before. So, you know, the statute of limitations has silenced the vast majority of the victims for the abuse, both in the criminal and the civil side. And, you know, at this point, over 90% of the states have um, eliminated or at least extended their criminal statutes of limitations. The civil statutes of limitations, especially for the adult victims, are lagging behind. And um, what we need is more Adult Survivors Acts, which we, we're, we're Child USA, but we believe children are really children for purposes of sex abuse and assault till they're 25. And these adult survivor acts open the door to be able to force discovery, to be able to force the um, perpetrator to be in the light they should be, to give the truth to the victims and also to provide for compensation. So I'm a big believer, you know, I've been working on this for over 20 years. I'm a big believer in justice. And I think all survivors deserve the support of the law um, and with respect to the rape kits, uh, we also did a study of children's rape kits, and it was shocking uh, how many had never been tested. And um, so I, I really applaud um, the recovery of those and also the testing of them. Just to remind listeners, and I'm reading from an AP piece last May, a jury found Donald Trump liable for sexually abusing E. Jean Carroll in 1996, awarding her $5 million in a judgment that could haunt him. Jurors rejected Carroll's claim that she was raped, finding Trump responsible for a lesser degree of sexual abuse. And like I said, he is expected to testify any minute now in a New York City courtroom. Can we also just talk about this epidemic? The numbers are really astounding. And I wonder what you both what you'd both say about these numbers and why you think mainstream society does not talk more about this. 
So as you've pointed out, Marcy, when you look at the numbers of what happens to young people, at least one in five girls are sexually abused before they turn 18. That's a huge number. And then if we look at racial numbers, Kalima of the National Black Women's Justice Institute finds that nearly one in five black women are survivors of rape. But for every black woman who reports rape, at least 15 do not. So first, Kalima, can you lay out just the numbers and what we're facing right now? And and do you think we spend enough time talking about this? No, actually, I don't think we spend enough time talking about it, which is why at the greeting, I, you know, said that this is important. So I really want to thank you again. And Marcy, I agree with everything that you also said. Uh, but in addition to that, I want to talk about in terms of AJ really quickly and say this. Criminal justice, civil justice has nothing to do with internal healing. They are not synonymous with each other. And I think this country often looks at, well, if that person is prosecuted, if that person goes to jail, if that person has to pay, yeah, we want that. We need that. That accountability is important. But we have survivors that we work with, particularly here in Detroit, uh, and most of them are of African-American descent or of African-American uh, culture and race. And I will tell you that most of them don't report. And one of the reasons why they don't report is because the criminal justice system has not been good to black folk in this country since we were forced here and enslaved. And we know that. And so during Reconstruction, what happened was we had these matriarch women and men and, you know, uh, deciding that no one else will decide what happens to us. And therefore, we'll keep this in the house. We will keep this secret. We will take this to our graves. We will not report this to the criminal justice system, because if I just want this person, for instance, to stop hitting me and I call the police, he might die. Hmm. And so that's a problem, right? The other piece I want to talk about, particularly in this country, we have to talk about the culture of rape. Like there is a rape culture where rape jokes are funny, where little boys are raised to have sex as early as possible and as much as possible. And little girls are raised not to ever give it up. And so there's this this gray uh, misunderstanding about what consent looks like. And a lot of times people still believe the old myths that rape is violent, that rape sometimes has to happen with somebody sneaking around in a white van. Um, I'm going to be doing a talk tonight about human trafficking. Everybody wants to talk about human trafficking now because there's federal dollars uh, set aside to talk about it. But the fact of the matter is we're still not talking about the traditional sexual assaults that happen on a college campus or that happen in a community or that happens at a church or that happens in a school or that happens between strangers or between people that know each other. Mm -hmm. And so we have all these uh, Hollywood ideas about what rape is, who rape victims and how they look, who's actually doing this, doing the raping. And and actually what we need in this country is an opportunity for us to really dispel these one myths, really change culture in terms of what we think about sexual assault in the first place. And then we need to stop doing all the victim blaming. It's so easy. Like a lot of times when it's hard for a survivor, particularly any survivor, but if I, if I was to talk about a survivor of color, a black woman, to say that she's been raped, it's like we never had dominion over our bodies to begin with when we when we got here. We didn't have the option of a no to anybody, not a slave master, nor the men working next to us. We didn't have an option. And so black women are often deemed as unrapeable. What do you mean? And then to even see the visceral response of Harvey Weinstein when a black woman said that he did something. He already vehemently denied everything all across the board. But when a black woman said it, oh, he definitely was upset. And it's, and we see it. Now, and one of the things I want... I'm sorry, I'll stop there. No, it's fine. Kalima, you're just reminding me, and I think it's so important to bring this up. Uh, we just did a, sh we did a number of shows about abortion last week, and we talked about that Time magazine piece called She Wasn't Able to Get an Abortion. Now she's a mom. Soon she will start seventh grade. So Charlotte Alter reported on a 13 year old black girl who was raped. And when her mom brought her to the hospital, they found out that she was pregnant. The first thing the nurse said when she came in the room is, what have you been doing? She said that to a 13-year-old black girl. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a study uh, out of Georgetown University called The Adultification of Black Women and Girls. If you all have 
haven't seen it, you should really take a look at it. Because uh, what it talks about is this phenomenon that uh, Black girls are seen as much older, as much more capable of making uh, adult decisions, uh, and they're treated and punished more for same behaviors uh, when they compare them to their white counterparts. Marcy, Kalima brought up so much there. What are your thoughts about the fact that this is an epidemic and what will it take for society to spend more time on these issues? There's no question that it's an epidemic. Um, I I do think uh, over the last 25 years, we have made some progress. I mean, there was a time when the statistics were one in four girls and one in six boys. It's now one in five girls and one in 13 boys. Um, still way, way too many. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to uh, agree with Kalima and clarify that I do agree justice is not the equivalent of healing. It can be part of the process, um, but um, it's it's needed as much for the survivor who's coming forward as for the public. If we don't get these cases into court and we don't get the public disclosures, the people don't understand. And, you know, it's the lawsuits, it's the headlines, um, starting with the Catholic Church all the way across the board that have been informing the public, making them more thoughtful, making them more, uh, making lawmakers willing to talk about these issues. But I completely agree with her on lower reporting rates in the Black community. And in fact, Black and brown child sex abuse survivors are reporting significantly lower rates than our white victims. And so we are a research institute and we're launching a study uh, which will be a series of um, surveys to the black and brown communities because we want to know specifically why. Um, you know, we have some hypotheses agreed that the justice system has been no picnic and not a great place to go. But we want to know specifically as a matter of social science, why aren't they coming forward? And what are the ways we can amend the law to make it better for them um, to be able to have access to justice? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the tragedies is that social scientists have not been paying attention to black and brown victims in the studies. And that's why we're going to fill the gap. And um, we're just launching on that. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, go ahead, Kalima. Oh, no, I was just going to say, Marcy, thank you for the clarification. And that is amazing um, that you all are doing that work. Um, If there's anything I can do to help, just let me know. That's what I was going to say. I'll be in touch. (laughs) Yes, yes, Marcy. Marcy Hamilton is founder and CEO of Child USA. That's a nonprofit working to improve laws and policies related to child abuse and neglect. Professor Hamilton is also author of Justice Denied, What America Must Do to Protect Its Children. She's professor of practice in the Department of Political Science at the University of Pennsylvania and is a leading expert on clergy sex abuse. Kalima Johnson is a survivor of sexual assault and executive director of the Sasha Center, a Detroit-based sexual assault service, prevention, and educational agency. They work in the African-American community and focus on uplifting the voices of Black women and girls who've experienced sexual trauma by providing them with support group services. And today we are talking about sexual abuse. Why did it take so long for women and girls who bravely stepped forward to share their stories about Jeffrey Epstein, R. Kelly, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Donald Trump, and so many others. Why did it take so long? In many cases, it took decades to get convictions. Many are still waiting. So what now? Now that we have some high-profile convictions, what has changed? If you have any questions or comments for our guests, if you have a story you'd like to share, we'd love to hear from you. 866-798-8255. 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at kalw.org. So we can go into detail about all of these high profile cases and why it took so long to not only start the process, but then get a conviction. But, but now that we do have a few convictions, 
Harvey Weinstein, for example, was convicted of rape and criminal sexual assault in February 2020. He was sentenced to 23 years in prison and then last February sentenced to another 16 years. 85 women accused him of everything from intimidation and sexual advances to rape. So, Kalima, how does this trickle down when you see these high-profile convictions to everyday cases? Um, I don't know. I, I really would say that the only conversations that I actually see from social media to inquiries when people call the agency is really about still trying to find um, reasons to let these people off the hook. Um, because of their stardom or because of their popularity or because of their uh, money um, and influence. And for me, I think that these cases are good and that, you know, that they happen and that these people are uh, serving their time. But I also think that some people just really want to hold on to maybe the, the person that they thought they were before this all came out. Now, when R. Kelly particularly, and I must say this, a lot of people don't know, but my organization before we were founded in 2010, in 2009, and, and before that we were doing activities, but 2009 was our first protest of R. Kelly oh. here in Detroit at the Fox Theater. I, you know, we still have, thank God we have pictures of it. We were protesting him in 2009 oh. and here was the lived experience. Uh, it was me and about 20 of my close friends and people who were helping me develop the program. And at that time, I was a full-time tenure-track professor teaching social work at a Catholic college in Detroit called Mary Grove. And some students came as well. And we were met with people who looked just like us, angry that we were even out there talking about it. And I remember a young man with his girlfriend when he read our sign and when he saw the 12 year old standing there saying she was only a year older than me. That's what her sign said. And her body and looking at just seeing her like that, that young man told his girlfriend, I told you I didn't want to bring you to this concert. I told you. Wow. And so we were making that kind of impact even then. And to answer your question, which I think is a great one, it takes a long time or it took a long time because people just want to be able to not have to talk about these things. People want to be able to continue to enjoy his music. Uh, you know, I believe I can fly. Every every kid in, in kindergarten, you know, from all the way up to high school sang that song at graduation. And so they are tied to these wonderful memories of his music. Um, and it's hard to to challenge and to actually see that uh, we have to hold this man with both hands. He's talented, but he's also a monster. I mean, not to call him out of his name, but he did some horrible things. And it's hard, again, trying to convince people that Black women particularly and Brown people particularly experience pain. You know, it's almost like, yeah, but... And so I don't I don't quite know if I'm answering your question or getting at it, but I will say that it took a long time. And in order for us to stop sexual abuse in our community, we have to have conversations with men and men have to have a conversation. And black men in particular, when we have this conversation, we cannot just come from a traditional white feminist approach. It just won't do it. But white feminism is what really started this anti-rape movement. And so we have to add uh, black feminism and third wave feminism to even begin to have these conversations with black men by talking about the um, the, the the trauma of lynching mm -hmm. in this country and the trauma of black men being wrongly accused of raping white women and lynched. And until we talk about that, I don't know. Hmm. Well, you know, since you brought up R. Kelly, before we go to break, I think it's so important to talk also about the power of the media, because that documentary, Surviving R. Kelly, I don't think I'll ever forget it. In fact, I had to stop watching it because it was just so brutal. That documentary uh -huh. 
exposed his past of preying on women and girls. And that was really, really a game changer. So before we go to break, let's just hear part of the trailer of Surviving R. Kelly. And I wanted to play this because the girls and the women who, who came forward are so, so brave and they, they need to still be heard. There's a difference between R. Kelly and Robert. R. Kelly is this fun, laughing, loving guy. But Robert is the devil. Is the devil. Is the devil. R. Kelly is at the top of the charts, but he may be in for a fall. He was arrested today on 21 counts of child pornography. Kelly is accused of videotaping himself having sex with an underage girl. Taking advantage of minors will not be tolerated. Jurors found him not guilty on all charges. Robert has said all along he would be clear to these terrible charges. Shame on you! Shame on you! Shame on you! Milk R. Kelly! Milk R. Kelly! Milk R. Kelly! We got a tip that she's here. She's not here. R. Kelly has denied accusations that he's holding women against their will in a sex cult. Dave said he loves you so much. I should have never introduced her to him. I should have never introduced my family to him. The puppet master. It was very scary because I knew at that moment I had a secret. Sparkle is alleged to have received significant payment. I didn't take the money because I can't be bought. He ain't a monster by himself. It took some help. I'm just ready to get the hell out of there. Black women don't get the same recognition as our white counterparts. And I wish that would change. A grown man, 50-something years old. That's not acceptable. Nowhere. Nowhere. That is the trailer for the uh, documentary Surviving R. Kelly. And Kalima, that was your voice in the trailer? Mm Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I was going to say, and I'm sorry, I thought that you, um, I heard that long pause and I thought it was over. I do apologize. No, no problem. Uh, but yeah, I, that was me chanting. Um, they came and recorded us doing um, the the last uh, protest here in Detroit. I led and I organized and that was me on the megaphone uh, yelling, mute R. Kelly. Um, and I was a part of the mute R. Kelly campaign, which was started by Orineke and um her name is uh leaving me right now but uh it was two black women in Atlanta that actually started the Mutar Kelly campaign um which actually got the documentary uh fueled the documentary documentary which also got the case opened again um and then there was this investigator in Chicago that were that kept writing about R. Kelly and he read, wrote about him all the time since Aaliyah um and I just wanted to say that I was very, very proud to be a part of that documentary in that they caught the footage of our uh, huge protest. So we went from protesting him in 2009 with 20 people uh, and we had over uh, 200 people at LCA and we had our city council sign an ordinance that he could never perform here again. Wow. Marcy, before we go to break, can you just talk about the power of the media here? Because there was obviously a lot behind that documentary as Kalima's laying out for us. So many people taking to the streets. And then all of a sudden this documentary comes out and that was a, a game changer. The doc, the documentaries in this space have been world changing. Um, that one was an extremely important one. Um, there were several about Epstein. Um, you know, the media did not cover sex abuse and sex assault until relatively recently. Uh, you know, the, you know, the, the Catholic Church scandal hit in 2002 that we knew there was a cover up. You could get fired as a reporter in major, uh, newspapers around the country if you wanted to cover sex abuse in the Catholic Church. And of course, now we see coverage of not only the church, then Penn State and then boarding schools and now these celebrities. Um, we're on the right direction, but we cannot do it without the media. 
Wow, we're going to take a quick break. Marcy Hamilton is founder and CEO of Child USA and professor of practice in the Department of Political Science at the University of Pennsylvania. She's a leading expert on clergy sex abuse and is the author of Justice Denied, What America Must Do to Protect Its Children. We're also joined today by Kalima Johnson, a survivor of sexual assault and executive director of the Sasha Center, a Detroit-based sexual assault service prevention and educational agency that works in African-American communities. This is your call. We'll be back after this. This is your call. I'm Rose Aguilar. Today we are talking about sexual assault and sexual violence. What has changed since we've seen major convictions against people like R. Kelly and Harvey Weinstein? Donald Trump is in court today and is expected to testify. Uh, he has been accused by dozens of women of sexual misconduct. The writer E. Jean Carroll said Trump raped her back in 1996. In May, she was awarded a five, $5 million after a jury did hold Trump liable for sexual abuse. Today, we're joined by Kalima Johnson, executive director of the Sasha Center, a Detroit-based sexual assault service prevention and educational agency. Marcy Hamilton is founder and CEO of Child USA and professor of practice in the Department of Political Science at the University of Pennsylvania. And let's hear from a caller who's been waiting patiently. Let's go to Sam in San Francisco. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the show. Hi, Hi, Rose. Thank you. Um, I'm actually the the child of a a rape. Um, My mom was forced to relinquish me to adoption after um, she had been sexually assaulted by someone she worked with. And... um, was very forthcoming with the details around my conception when I reunited with her um, in the 90s. Um, and I subsequently went on to trace my um, rapist father down through DNA in 23andMe. But I wanted to mention a couple of points about rape culture. You know, in this country, we emphasize the idea of don't get raped rather than to boys, which is don't rape. Um, and then the other thing I would just like to say about children of rape, I think, you know, once I learned I was uh, born as the result of rape, I internalized that message as, you know, the rapist's evil seed. And um, the truth is, I'm also his victim. I'm the rape victim's daughter. And there's currently uh, in the UK a bill that's going through the House of Commons Commons that would identify victims of um, uh, children of rape. Uh, as victims, and they would be eligible yeah. then for services, um, including, you know, psychological services. I can't tell you how many tens of thousands of dollars they spent on therapy and going through that arduous task of trying to um, come to terms with my past by myself. And I think that, you know, we could be doing a lot more in terms of services here. Thank oh. you. Sam, uh, do you mind? I, I, I'm so glad that you called in. I, I, this is something that we hardly talk about in this society. Uh, I mean, given your experience, I mean, what role do you want us all to play in, in raising these issues? Because I'm sure there are, there are so many other people out there like you. And yet this is something we really don't touch in this society. Yeah. I think that um, what you're doing is a great service today. Um, I also think that, you know, Hopefully, by calling in, um, other voices will feel empowered to speak up. But, um, you know, I would just say that the shame that I internalized was probably the biggest impediment to being able to talk about my story. And, you know, slowly I've been able to overcome that. I'm in my 50s now, you know, and I think that it just takes that uh, uh, experience, that length of experience and wisdom to develop before I realized, you know what, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. Um, Let's talk about this. Well, well, thank you so much for calling in, Sam. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, Marcy, what an ama- I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that Sam was listening and called to share her story. Can you talk more about that, the internalized shame? So, so this is so moving and, um, it was so brave of her to call in and, and, and then to do it for the purpose of ha- giving other people their voices. Um, but this is such an excellent example of how a rape does not stop with the person who is being victimized. 
it affects family. It affects all of society, which is why all of us have to fight to stop sex assault and sex abuse because it is uh, uncontainable and it's the sort of thing that can, um, as she explained, it can change your self-image. But at the same time, the more supportive we are in society, especially with the wonderful organizations like Sasha Center that um, Kalima runs, um, we can do a much better job of supporting people. Kalima, what would you like to add? Um, first of all, I just want to thank Sam for breaking silence. Breaking silence is so important to share your story. And I'm truly, truly moved. And I'm glad that she is able to share just for the sake of others. Like Marcy said, uh, that's so unselfish of her. And, and, and basically what really stood out to me is when she talked about the rape culture in this country and the conversation always is about don't get raped, protect yourself, don't go out at night, don't don't hang out with certain people. It's like the responsibilities put on survivors and experiencers of sexual trauma more than it is on the people who are doing it. And it took me right to a video I remember watching as a part of a training for the military where it was a whole video where instead of... Uh, it was a woman who got away from a rape and two officers approached her and told her what not to do instead of chasing the perpetrator. And uh, we still tend to show up in spaces like that. And I'm always reminding folk, talk to some, let's change thoughts, feelings and behaviors that make people harm other people in sexual ways. Let's, let's hold them responsible. Let's, let's really focus on changing uh, their behavior and making them see that this is problematic for them as as they show up in the world to do these things. And so, um, again, I just I really appreciate her bringing that up. And it's it's really I, I'm hopeful when I hear that uh, that the impact and we're starting to begin to recognize that the impact stretches far beyond the act against the one person and how it impacts all of us. I agree with that 100 percent. Gosh, well, Sam, thank you again for sharing your story. And and if you'd like to be on a future show to continue this conversation, if you're still listening, please email your contact information to your call at KALW.org. We'd love to have you on. And Sam, I'm not sure if you heard the story on NPR this morning, uh, but given the story you just shared, I think we should touch on it and talk about it. The headline is raped, pregnant, and in an abortion ban state. Researchers look at how often it happens. An abortion provider in Montana, Dr. Samuel Dickman, has seen patients routinely, routinely, who tell him they become pregnant after a rape, and he wanted to get data. So he and a group of colleagues uh, have arrived at some answers based on uh, numbers from the government, they estimate in a research letter published just yesterday in JAMA Internal Medicine that over 64,000 pregnancies have been caused by rape in the 14 states where abortion is banned. I, I mean, Marcy, just to add another layer to this issue, this is also so important to talk about given where we are right now. This is uh, an ongoing tragedy in these states where the rights of the fetus have been elevated above the rights of, of rape victims and especially child rape victims. Um, this has really been uh, illuminating for the country because at one point the whole discussion about abortion was really at 36,000 feet. And it was easy to say, yes, I'm pro-life. And then um, because it, we hadn't gotten down to the details, but in the details, rape victims deserve exemptions from every abortion ban in the United States. Um, and, and in fact, it's rape, trafficking, incest victims. Um, there are just so many. And um, they're really being treated by policymakers at this point in those states as though they don't matter. And that's the message um, that they've been hearing, that rape victims have been hearing for so long. This is just another arena where we have to uh, basically walk in and say, you've got to stop doing this to rape victims here as well. 
Kalima, what would you add? I mean, obviously, we have no idea what decision these people would make after they were raped. But the fact of the matter is they don't have a choice in so many states. We've done so many shows about how so many people, especially low income and people of color, cannot afford to travel to another state. Yeah. Um, I'm so afraid for experiencers who are young, who cannot and do not have the resources or the option. Um, and I agree with Marcy that they should be exempted everywhere across the country. Um, and I'm concerned that, and I'm really worried that there are going to be um, people resorting to having abortions again in basements and, you know, wherever. Um, and it's just, it's just a tragedy. I, I, the only thing I can add is that um, we're not in a good place, not for survivors and not for experiencers of of sexual assault. We're just not in a good place, especially considering that that right has also been taken from them. The option, and it's a it's a it's a medical issue. It's a it's a health issue, right. and yeah, yeah. Well, I really hope that this becomes more of a, an issue in in the twenty twenty four election because this is so important. To go much deeper, much deeper, because we've got so many cases now. Let's go to another caller. Let's hear from Sarah in Berkeley. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hi. I just wanted to say thank you for this really powerful show. And um, I was sitting here shaking. And when I heard Sam's call, I decided she gave me the courage to call in um, from a, a different perspective, but related. Um, I was sexually um, assaulted and, and, and molested from the time I was a, a young child and finally left home as a teenager. And it's a very complicated story. But when I finally told my mother um, and that my stepfather had done this, it led to family, quote, family counseling, at which I was asked, why did I take so long? And I was kind of held responsible for, quote, not coming forward. And was it really that bad? And was I really sure it happened? Because I waited till I was a teenager to tell and um, and then I, I stay living, and there was emphasis on keeping this perpetrator. I was the oldest child. There were two younger sisters who, to this day, don't know if they were also molested or if they just have nightmares from knowing about it. Mm-hmm. And just a few years ago, probably five years ago, I attended a lecture given by a, a UC Berkeley professor on um, child sexual assault, and. Um, when I brought up this case, uh, she talked about how it was really important to keep families together and to protect the abused children from feeling guilty about prosecution of a of a of a parent. And recently, I heard um, I became familiar with Allison Russell's music, who whose story was different but similar to mine. Who talked about when she finally got the courage to come forward and. Um, press charges against her stepfather who had sexually assaulted her from the time she was a young child to, to age 15 um, and she left home that she didn't even have to be part of the case because when he was investigated so many, it turned out he he'd sexually assaulted so many other people and I think that this can't be, just like what happened with Harvey Weinstein when there's people in families who commit sexual assault against their children they're probably likely doing it outside the community too, and it's not just a family issue. So I just wanted to bring out this aspect of it because I think a lot of times in families, it's dealt with as a, quote, family issue, and it's bigger than that. Sarah, again, thank you so much for sharing your story. Were you able to find resources or were you able to trust anyone at school, for example, like a teacher or someone older? Did you, did you, want, were you able to I share your story? I was, I was suicidal and I want to give a shout out to my middle school teacher, Ying Lee, um, who, you know, went on to then work for, um, Dellums and Barbary. And I didn't have the courage to talk to her, but she gave me the courage to try and escape instead of committing suicide and there was I did twice attempt suicide and then my grandmother attempted suicide and I saw what it did to people and I didn't want to do that but I I left home and I went to a runaway shelter 
called Huckleberry House in San Francisco instead of being on the streets because I, I knew what happened to girls who ended up on the streets, right? And I didn't want to go from the frying pan into the fire. So it was hard. And I still, I, I'm in my 60s and I still suffer from it, wow. you know? And I'm still angry and it's, it's, it's tough. Like Sam said, it, it, these kinds of things, no matter where you are, within these stories it takes a toll you know i i i told kevin the screener i'm using a different name you know it's hard well sarah thank you so much for sharing your story and again if if you'd like to be on a future show please share your contact information with kevin or you can email us your call at kalw.org because your story is just so important and it just sparks a conversation. Maybe the, a, a person who needs some help might hear you if you're interested, but really thank you for sharing your story. And Marcy, thank you for your guest. this is so powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Marcy, again, another really powerful story from, from Sarah, mm-hmm. you know, given that you work on child abuse, what, what would you say about, I'm thinking about the little girl who has Sarah's similar story, who's in school right now. What resources are available for young people today? Well, let, let me just start by saying to Sarah that you are extraordinary. Your bravery in coming forward as a teen um, is really uh, unusual. The average age for people to come forward for child sex abuse is age 50. Uh, it takes decades, typically, for people to be able to get out from under the trauma and the shame and the humiliation, sometimes the substance abuse, sometimes the physical illnesses. Uh, child sex abuse is now known to be a cause of multiple sclerosis. So um, so that was extremely brave. And um, the the persons who are out there, our safety net, exists in the teachers and the guidance counselors. Um, it exists in um, the doctors and the nurses who are mandated reporters. And um, uh, I'm so glad Sarah was able to escape. Um, but sometimes you need that that hand the, to help you find the space where you can be safe. There is a debate right now, a strong debate about families. Do you keep families together at all costs um, or do you uh, operate through a child-centered perspective? And for Child USA, we are really um, advocates for a child-centered perspective for every single child. They should not have to be treated like this and they shouldn't have to be trapped in it. So... Um, so the barriers are high to disclosure, um, but the beauty of what she said also is is just the fact that she knows someone who did come forward and then others line up behind them because we do have these serial, serial pedophiles. And the ones who do line up behind them just add to the case. But you can see how tough a job we have in this society when it took over 50 women to accuse Um, Bill Cosby before it was really taken as seriously as it should have been. Um, So we have a lot of barriers, but the science is getting better and better. Um, And as I said before, we're starting a study on black and brown victims because um, they have such difficult times coming forward and they need to be able to. Yeah. Kalima, I'm glad. I wish we had more time, but we only have a few minutes (laughs) left. So uh, final thoughts from you. Uh, Yes, I was just going to say that the Sasha Center has created a model uh, and the model is called the Black Women's Triangulation of Rape. And we talk about why and how it's so difficult for black women to disclose. Uh, And it's been uh, actually quoted in over 100 uh, peer-reviewed research articles uh, across the country and and uh, internationally. I just want to encourage people to take a look at that to give them more insight about the barriers that exist for Black women reporting rape. And Kalima, be- before we end the show today, I mean, you, I'm just so grateful 
for the two women who called in to share their stories. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just shows that these conversations are so important. Where would you like to see this go next, given all the work that you do and the personal stories you share, you hear on a regular basis? I, I really wish and hope that our next moves in this country is that we provide room and space for people to break their silence like what they, what they did today uh, because the stories are what's going to motivate us to change and to move and to make better decisions about uh, communities of people who've experienced sexual assault, all of us together. And I also think that our next moves is trying to determine the value of these stories and the value of the women and the value of their survivorship. Like they, they got here, they got on a call, they called us, they shared their story. There's something good in that. It really is. And being able to not hold on to the shame and the guilt anymore and being able to, uh, encourage and inspire others. Like without Sam, we wouldn't have had Sarah's story. And so Sam and Sarah, uh, both of them are amazing human beings and I want them to take care of themselves. And to continue to root themselves in the things that keep them happy and whole and that they hold joy uh, because we can. As survivors, we can hold joy. We have every right to it. Alima Johnson is a survivor of sexual assault and executive director of the Sasha Center, a Detroit-based sexual assault service prevention and educational agency that works in the African-American community. Marcy Hamilton is founder and CEO of Child USA, professor of practice in the Department of Political Science at the University of Pennsylvania, a leading expert on clergy sex abuse, and the author of Justice Denied, What America Must Do to Protect Its Children. Kalima and Marcy, thank you so much for your important work. We would love to have you back, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. And again, Sarah and Sam, thank you so much for sharing your stories and sharing your contact information. And we would love to have you on a future show. And if any of you would like to share your story or be on a future show, we'd love to hear from you. If you have show ideas around this important issue, it just deserves so much more attention. You can email your call at KALW.org. Thanks to Savannah Harriman-Pote for producing today's show. Thanks to Kevin Vance for engineering our show. And thank you for joining us. I'm Rose Aguilar. It's your call.